It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly. Here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the seventh episode of the second season of HBO's Westworld. This one, in my brutal attempt to get it pronounced correctly, is Les Écarchés. Yeah, I think that's perfect. So the dictionary definition of that one is an anatomical model of part or all of the human body with the skin removed to allow the study of the underlying musculature, Paul. Sort of like a Ramsey Bolton sort of thing. Yeah, sick, dude. However, we saw that imagery a gajillion times. Over and over in this show, we've seen... I mean, without really much metaphor, like the oh yeah, the bodies. Zero. I'm just saying, the, like actual imagery of right. It. The bodies in the in the opening credits fit the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, the we, drones are kind of that way. Yeah, we saw Dolores sitting on the table again, doing that thing where it's like the actress's body, but then it's like that all metallic robot parts that Bernard is taking a look at. Yeah, we saw Jock the we dog saw, laying saw Jock down. Jock laying in parts. Yeah, right. Same thing. We saw, um, and then in a more metaphorical way. Obviously, if you think of it as like pulling back the layers and seeing like what the actual structure of something is, certainly we had that with Ford's information dump here, and really tons and tons of little moments that just sort of peeled back layers for everybody. That's right. what we're going with, y'all. It's all about peeling back the layers, whether you're Abernathy and it's going to be your skull or whether it's more about understanding the corporate structure and experiments that Delos was up to. Evil Delos. Either one, y'all. Either one. We're going to start off sort of clumping people together in their little activities, but a little bit um, out of order in the way that they showed it, but hopefully in an order that maybe makes a little bit more sense to the story. So we're going to get started with Maeve and her daughter, who very wildly here relives that entire story all over again. We're not at the homestead, but we're running. We're having the MIB come up on us in a cabin. It was like ridiculously deja vu. Uh, This reviewer believes coincidental and unfortunate for for Maeve having to go through it again and have, you know, re-experience something that's uh, traumatic to her because the daughter doesn't remember and MIB thinks it's a trick. It's I don't I don't think it's I don't think Ford coordinated that exactly master plan. I don't think she was there waiting for him. That's what I'm trying to say. I think that I would hesitate to use the word coincidental because that does not seem like anything having to do with this show. That word just doesn't match up. However, I would say that something that Ford said concerning Dolores when he said, I didn't make her do that. I just knew what she would do. And so then it happened, right? right? Yeah. So then I wonder if it's just like the combination of Maeve and her daughter Plus this sort of like frontiers land. You only just have to put that stuff together in order to eventually have the same type of run in. You know, where you've got some sort of warriors, you've got some sort maybe of Maybe I'll take that woman. back because we have been saying all along that Ghost Nation has been playing the part of kind of like referee and and, I and, like and referee. bounds keeper, you know. Yep, yep, I like that. And bouncing things back into play. We've said that in other podcasts. Right. So they are the reason she wound up in that cabin and they are the reason MIB wound up in that cabin. So 
I guess I'm full of shit. It's not coincidental. The 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 control factors in the game they herded them herded back into them, right. the exact same scenario. Because of course, where is the person going to run into the structure? Right, whatever structure it is, happens to be a cabin. You know what's MIB likely to do? Open the door of the structure. You know, like it's it's very um, repetitive, and at the same time. If you set anybody up, if you put me with the kids in a potentially dangerous situation and you had people come at us from a certain direction, you know I'm running the opposite way. And so you can decide which way I'm going to run by which way you run at me, right? Yeah. And so it's basically just like understanding the choices that are going to be made, which I think is tricky. This is The concept of free will comes up a whole bunch in this. Yeah. And I think that free will from Ford's point of view is very interesting because from what I can see, it's really a lot about like you're giving someone free will, but if you know what is going to affect them and how they're going to respond, was that actually free will? Like, did Maeve choose to run from Ghost Nation or were they scary guys on horses that ran at them and you just know she's going to run do you see what I'm saying? Like you like created the scenario. And so it wasn't free will. It's in entrapment, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like you. Yes. I think it's exactly entrapment. Yes. You know what the person's going to do. You set the scene for them to do it and you call it free will. Questionable. It's not cool in a court of law. <laughs> right. Right. It doesn't work. It's does not, not cool. Work. Like no. if you had a hungry animal and you put food out and then the animal jumped and got the food, you'd be like, you free right. will you just you just did that on your own or you'd be like no you set that up dude like come on all right so let's talk about this actual showdown this time though Maeve is going to try and turn the tables she uses all her different arsenal including her mental skills to get other people to do her bidding and a gun herself one on one without any other intervention she would have won this this whole thing it was gratifying to watch her kind of come into her kind of mind control powers right it's sort of like watching a superhero <laughs> operate right she was just like <laughs> she was exactly like Neow. they even kind of played that sound by then all of a sudden the posse from Lawrence's town that seemed like a pretty good idea at the time. <laughs> We're shooting him up left and right. Yeah, I thought that that was amazing and surprising. And the way that the scene actually played out, it was so weird. I kept saying to you, like, look at Ed Harris's face. Like, there's something about it that is so stricken that it physically doesn't look like him anymore. Like he is so exhausted. His face is so drawn. His like the life is like leaving his body in such a way that like he's at this angle. I swear to God, it looks like a body double. Like that's not his face. That is not him. Hmm. It's weird. He definitely it's looks cool, his age. Weird. Side by side with uh MIB from 2016. Uh he does he definitely looks more more ragged than he did before he's been on quite a journey paulo emotionally mentally physically this has been quite a journey and now he's been shot four times including one time in the guts holy smokes okay so did you expect lawrence to step into this sitch i was surprised that lawrence didn't 
turn the you know the given her first round of mental power she had to rely on logic and and, and pulling memories out of him the old-fashioned way to get him to turn i was surprised more and more impressed with lawrence's um how his progression i guess in terms of his wokeness uh yeah than, than i'd expected him to be so i think that's the trick of it right it's like if you are completely still asleep she can mentally you know manipulate you but if you are woke in any form or fashion then she does have to try to use logic on you like dolores she can't just mind trick around or whatever yeah so that seems to be the rules seems to be right yeah well it it all played out to mave's advantage in that moment and lawrence i thought was going to give it a lot more damage than just that one shot. Well, he needs to do a little monologuing, and that's always the downfall. You can't take that much time, right? <laughs> right, no. You can't do it. Watch John Wick sometime if you want to see a really excellent portrayal of how you're supposed to kill people in these things. Oh. He doesn't say much at all. He well, just look goes, back at Teddy. Pop, 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 pop. And then, you're, then he's like wasted a room of guys. Look back at Teddy, the previous episode. All these people are talking and he's like, bam, bam, just pops him <laughs> off on the train platform. Like if you if you're truly wanting to kill this guy, you just kill him. You don't chit chat about it. Right. Right. Let that be a lesson to you. Be more John Wick, less Lawrence. <laughs> or more Teddy. Depends more- on how you look at it. I was shocked when Sizemore came blasting in on the scene with his go-kart dune buggy shooting people up out of that car. I know he wasn't the actual trigger man, but- the he called them. Hell. And he seemed to be ranking in a way. I thought so. Well, sure. Absolutely. But I I mean, the way that they blasted Maeve, I think she had three gut shots. I mean, did he give them zero information? If you see a girl with curly, dark hair, let's not shoot her. Like, give me a minute. Because he clearly wanted to save her after that fact that she was already shot. But dude, she's already shot. Couldn't you have like alerted the the gunner before? Well, maybe it's more like like we've been saying about how their their bodies they can turn off the pain and they can turn off the part that makes them bleed and just kind of run off the robot part. Like Dolores can do that, and Angela seemed to do that in this episode. Oh, I did not. Wait, you got to explore for a second. I never said they could turn off the blood. What is that about? Well, like Dolores has been shot through a couple times. Yeah, no, I agree. But so are you saying we've never said that aloud? You no, think I've, I've said have, that. I've there's said a that way to turn off the blood. That I've I have said that there's a way that they can kind of just circumvent that part of their programming when they it, when they receive human fatal damage mm-hmm. that would normally tell their computer to close down play dead until someone turns you back on right that Dolores and others have just said we're not doing that we're not we're not playing that game we're going to keep going until we can't go anymore okay like how Clem took so many shots yeah she certainly did and, and Angela took a gut shot and just kept kept operating pretty pretty normally right and and uh but Maeve maybe you know she was separated from that crew so maybe she doesn't have that as for as much as she does have figured out maybe she doesn't have that part of it figured out or maybe those injuries were that bad that they, they, they looked hit awful I mean my god shit. if you really look at how narrow her torso is it took out chunks of her middle of her midsection and they that were was, like insane I think they I think they were they passed through like I think oh yeah, she was shot in the back, yeah. and the blood spilled out of her front. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I'm talking chunks. Chunks came out. 
Oh, gross. <laughs> okay, so now we have Maeve getting swiped up by Sizemore and taken mm-hmm. back to the Mesa. Right. We've got MIB limp noodled out in the town. What is our predicted outcome for these two? Because we actually have a kind of a funny end for each of them. MIB is left in town. I do want to talk about him. Maeve, we do have a little bit more to her story where she actually has this encounter with Dolores when Dolores is hightailing it out of the Mesa. But they have a little interaction there that I felt like was worth highlighting and talking about. Okay. Well, let's do the MIB first because he's short. Okay. He certainly is. Yeah. He just, he doesn't get, he doesn't draw attention to himself and no one notices him. So he's just left bleeding there in the little town. Do you think his daughter's going to come back in? Gotta be. Who's left to even help him? Because Lawrence is not a, a player anymore. So yeah, they took who out Lawrence. Left? This episode had a lot of what I'm pretty sure is real death for yes. several hosts. I agree with you. Potential death for Maeve and MIB. Kind I just doubt don't it. think so. Because I, I mean, we we already know there's another season. I just I don't see of, it being their death of anybody that he could run into. That would be inclined to help him and know how to help him. It's his daughter. She would have the same knowledge of the park, where the little cheat, you know. Those packet things, yeah. Yeah, the first aid kits are. She would know that shit because she's known so much about the park already, you know. Mm -hmm. Besides that. I'm of the opinion that he didn't he didn't get their attention because he didn't want to get their attention. He still wanted to finish the game and if he oh, yeah. if he you know medevaced out that he couldn't finish. This was a one time only. Oh no, event. I 100% agree. No, he he's going for the finish line here. Now, does this lean you more towards human, human host hybrid or host? Where where are you landing on him in the today's episode? This was very hosty, the way that he survived all this. And um, yeah, very, very hosty to me because he got shot in joints and stuff and still was like moving around pretty reasonably. I know. I'm willing to go with hybrid. I'm willing to go with something along the lines of how Ford explained it to us that people can hang out in Westworld and be okay. And this is why he's chosen to stick around in there. I'm willing to go with hybrid, some sort of version of himself plus host. Like how he explained how, okay, we'll talk about it later, but he explained how Bernard is Mm -hmm. a version of Arnold. Right. He's got some of the memories, he's got some of the personality, but he is not. Arnold. And we know that again, though, because previous episode, remember the mess up with the elephants. And so maybe he does have, he's a, a good copy, but he doesn't have it all. He doesn't have all the true memories. I was just thinking about, you know, how this episode goes down and this idea of who's fidelity testing who and yeah, all that. Yeah. And what if this was all a fidelity test just for MIB. I am absolutely willing to feel that way, especially about the daughter. I mean, I 100% feel like when she was like, nope, that's not what happened. It felt identical to Dolores saying, nope, that's not what he said. I mean, it practically felt the same words, you know? Well, and they put it in the same episode. Mm -hmm. And they just, I don't know, there was a weird similarity to them. I'm fully willing to guess that MIB is going through some sort of fidelity test. I I fully believe that because whenever he reaches the end of this, I mean, I'm telling you what I think is endgame. I think he's going to be given the choice. I think that they will have figured it out far enough that now you can be immortal. Do you want to be? Hmm. You know, that's that's what I think that his reward is, which reward is in big, fat, sarcastic quotes, because it's like, 
do you want to stay here forever? Do you want to do this forever? Like, you know, you've already been driven somewhat mad by the point by having to stay here and trying to quote unquote finish it because he's like desperate for an end. But yet if you're immortal, there couldn't ever be an end, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That's my, that's my guess on old MIB. That's what his whole realization has to be as a human being that no one's going to be happy being immortal forever. Given that logic, this could be his 20th time going through this slight variation on on tearing apart Westworld. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why he was like kind of pissed to come across maybe and like, you know, like not this again, you know, and I know we know it also played out on the homestead, but I think there's also sort of like a, I beat this level, you know, why am I dealing with Maeve again? You know, that whole portion. Did you get a chance to see the note from Chris G on our Facebook page? I did, but tell our listeners. All right. This is a theory of his. The scenes between Dolores and Bernard were filmed in widescreen, as were the scenes that took place at the end of the episode when Bernard was in the cradle. He's talking about two weeks ago. When you see a scene in widescreen, it could be a tip that the scene is taking place in the cradle, meaning virtual, meaning memory, meaning not in the real world. How about that? So this scene between the two of them was a simulation run by Ford, who was testing the fidelity of Bernard, which gets explained this week. So it looks like Chris is really on top of things, but now we'll be on the lookout for filmmaking differences, including widescreen versus other approaches to to getting a a scene filmed. I'm not surprised at all what type, if they use angles or lenses like that, or you know, certainly we've seen they've used lighting and reflections and all kinds of cool things. We talked about when we were in James uh, Delos's space, how they were using that circular motion of the camera. I think that they have put thought into every aspect of this in a way that almost as a viewer, like we can't possibly appreciate. And if they really want us to, they're going to have to give us all the behind the scenes director's cut, give us the commentary and point it all out because I want to appreciate it all. But It's a lot for, you know, most of us for just being one person. When you know they have a director and a cinematographer and they have all those people thinking of those things, the music, the everything, the writers. Mm -hmm. And we're just trying we're trying to dissect all those people's jobs, you know, and what what part they played across the board that week. Knowing that they all bring a personal something and a kajillion years of experience and professionalism and all, you know, and it's like, oh my God, it's too much, right? Yeah. We can't possibly catch it all. But I appreciate it all. And I and I know in my gut when I see it, wow, this is layered and people have really put a lot into this. Okay, so going back over to Maeve, now Maeve is brought by Sizemore to the Mesa when things are going crazy and he actually has to hide and Dolores comes across her on the on the gurney. Their conversation was pretty interesting. It was a meeting of philosophical differences, right? Mm-hmm. What was interesting about it was it wasn't like Dolores was happy to see that Maeve look like she wasn't going to make it. It was, you know, it's it's sort of like, I don't know, it reminds me of like a, a strong sports rivalry or something where one strong team doesn't really want to see their rival do completely shitty because they- Or get injured. Right. Because they want them to be 
tough for them to beat. You right. Know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. You so, don't you don't want to see that injury part. What did you think about this whole concept that Maeve was living for her daughter and this is why she had to do this all and Dolores was going to try to pop that bubble hardcore and tell her that the kin they give you is just another way to lash you down. That uh <laughs> that is the difference between Dolores and Wyatt. So De- mm, I De- like that. That was very Wyatt, wasn't it? Dolores had some time with her dad today, right? And then Wyatt says, are you ready? Yeah, good call to that. <laughs> so this looked very Wyatt-ish uh, out in the garage with, with yeah. Maeve. Because, yeah, uh, Wyatt deprogrammed Teddy. Wyatt cut Abernathy's head open. Right, exactly. Well, and not only that, I agree with you so much about the Wyatt thing. Because if you think of Wyatt as like the dark side, of Dolores, then she even says the the line, when you've been in darkness long enough, you begin to see as if like she's the evil one, you know, mm. the dark one that's coming out. You can begin to see something, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, for sure. Dolores offers to kill old Maeve and Maeve leans on this idea of I made a promise. Now we assume the promise was to go back for the daughter, right? That's what I got. She told the daughter, I'm coming back for you. Dolores was like, so like, is this going to come back and haunt her ass? Because, you know, Maeve was like, is is this the shit you tell yourself so that you could do this to him? Like old Tedster. And poor Ted's like, quit looking at me. I'll punch you in the face. Maeve is, I believe in one way or another, is going to pull through and they will cross paths again and maybe even tables may be turned and it'll be up to Maeve to decide whether or not Dolores punches her ticket right then. So yeah, this is all going to come back and turn around, I think. I really don't think we're done with Ghost Nation with these with these two, with Maeve specifically mm-hmm. um, and MIB, which does uh, you know ask the question of like, who else is Maeve's family? You know, we've only had Maeve out there alone with a daughter. We don't actually know who's the daughter's dad. Was there a dad in the situation? Were there other people involved? Is Maeve somehow connected to Ghost Nation in some way that they constantly are coming after her and the daughter? I don't know. I have no idea. But I do feel like I know from the the previews for next week that we're going to get into Ghost Guy's story. So... And I, we think he's like a contender in this in this game. Then what does that mean? Why is he always trying to grab her up? And is he trying to grab her up to hurt her or grabbing her up because he made a promise to come get her or some crap? You know, I don't know. There's something that's just he's so motivated to get the daughter all the time. That's why she got off the train. That's why she made her first woke decision, right? I believe that's the facts. It's not really rational, but that's how family works. (laughs) So I guess it's real to her. All right. Speaking of what's real and what's not, we have this amazing sequence between Ford and Bernard. Once Bernard extracts himself out of his host body and gets into the cradle, what did you think of all of this information that just got like poured into our faces reminds me of that episode last season when ford tells him who arnold is and we get a lot of truth but not the complete picture but this seemed probably a little more truthy than that speech you know the the bicameral mind talk 
Yes. This seemed probably more chock full of information because, you know, maybe he figured they had limited time or or something. Ford is the AI part of the cradle that has been batting away the defenses, or not the defenses, but the people trying to recode it to act normal. Yes. He's well aware that everything's going down outside the, the, the cradle. Yes. So... Maybe he's got to spill it uh, to his to his disciple here so See, that they can I go think, back out. Yeah, I think that. And I think that things that were happening, whether it's that somehow Ford had some ability to compel Elsie to end up with them in the cradle. I feel like everything that he's telling him especially when he gets to this part where he's talking about like lighting the match and and all that kind of stuff. I think this all is classified as gaslighting Bernard, right? Giving him enough information that like he himself is like losing his mind, right? So then that allows there to be such weakness in, in him trying to figure out what's real and what's not, giving him just enough information, but then saying something like, come on, Bernard, you haven't figured it out yet. (laughs) But not giving him enough information. So again, making him like constantly question himself, question what's real. I think that puts his guard down enough for Ford to jump into him the way he does. I think that that's Mm. how like if you think about like abusers or something like that, like there's a grooming process that goes on that has been happening that then he sort of like breaks him down with this like Bernard, come on, man, you haven't figured this all out yet. And then it's like crack jump in the crack the whole time he's in there he's kind of wearing him down getting him ready to well, he's receive giving his... a lot of information that is overwhelming and a lot of information with just enough information to then like embarrass him when he can't fill out the rest mm. so it's like all right so let's throw out the the various things that we can remember that he dumped on us let's do okay that. all right so here's one thing i remember i remember that ford said that that mines can only survive, human minds can only survive in Westworld and not successfully in the real world currently. From what we can figure, that means that is because the hosts act as the control, the guest is the is the variable portion of this, and that jives with what we said in a previous podcast about how James Delos breaks every time new information is given to him about his family specifically, people dying, all those kinds of things, right? Do, do you mean Westworld or the cradle? Because I took it to mean the cradle. Right? I Like not in a body yet. Like the mind could survive in that virtual environment, but stick it in a body and it starts like, ah, it starts freaking out. I think that, no, I think they can live in Westworld. That's what I'm saying right now. I mean, you can say it in a different way, but I'm saying that what I heard is Ford can live out in the West world with the loops. Yes. Yes. In the cradle. Yes. I guess you're correct in that regard that it's that controlled loop. So I guess that is the cradle. I don't know. Is this is such a complicated concept of like, are you really living if you're just living in your mind? Do you really have to be walking? Can you be walking in your mind? You know, like all that part that differentiating this, the cradle versus being in a body does get sticky when it comes to this you know you're right but but it it gets weird it does i mean you get you you get into a lot of other weird questions existentially kind of questions and 
and what it means to be and feel and all that kind of stuff, like philosophical kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. A jillion percent. Yes. And I don't know if they want to get into all that depth on on this TV show. Oh, I think they're. I think they already are. I just think that we haven't. Like I said, there's so many layers. I think that we will figure it out as there'll be an amazing, ridiculous hindsight part that happens as we get further on in the series where we look back and are like, oh my god, that's what he meant, you know? Like I just think that right now it's we're like Bernard. We are very much like Bernard. We're just giving enough information to feel like, I think I understand what's going on. And then feeling shame when we can't quite figure it all out, right? right. That's when you visit Reddit or something and they're shaming all the people that are asking the same questions there, that, yeah. that you're uh, wondering about. Yeah, I believe that is a great place to probably go to get shamed for sure. I'm sure of that. Um, all right, so what other little nuggets did you get then? And I don't know that I cleared that up just then. All I was saying is that the main thing is that your mind has to only re- only interact with programmed host and then your mind can stay intact. The moment that new information, like real world information gets injected is when you disintegrate. That's the only thing I can say. Now, whether that means that your little ball mind can actually be inside a host or that your little ball mind has to remain in a cradle, however you look at it, I'm not sure yet. I don't know how far we can get. But that's the main thing. You can't have any real world information infiltrate. This is more of a footnote to that. What we are looking at is what the Ford avatar himself refers to as a kind of a pale imitation of his living self. So if you were watching this and not really paying attention, you might think, oh, well, he just transferred himself into the computer. No, he made a copy of himself and his physical self died. And this is a copy that knows most of what he used to know. Mm-hmm. This is not Ford per se. This is something that knew everything that Ford knew. So what do you think about the the little line that he used about that, about the soft-headed boy humming a tune that someone else composed? <laughs> I think he has a pretty low opinion of the idea of, of transferring consciousness like that. Or maybe he feels that way about his own, his own copy. Like he just doesn't feel... All, him, all himself? Yeah, all 40. How many times did I make you rewind that part because I could not gather what the hell he was saying? Well, I mean, it's a it's an obscure reference, I'm sure. Soft-headed boy. Well, I kept understanding him say soft-headed boy. Oh, humming a tune. It's the way he pronounced tune. Oh, that you... God. I was like, I can't understand what he's saying. Rewind it. I can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> it was in a, in a moment when I was stretching my brain to understand everything the fact that pronunciation was going to be the reason i didn't get it was like not today satan like we're <laughs> going to continue to rewind this until i understand what he's saying right we, at least the words <laughs> we broke the tape <laughs> we kind of felt like i did okay so what other nuggets did we learn from him we learned how bernard was built this part made that out-of-place clip from the previous episode makes sense. Finally. However, for this little viewer, I guess this puts a new spin on things because instantly I did not like the idea of Dolores helping redevelop the, you know, the Arnold brain ball into Bernard. I didn't like that. It didn't seem very forty. 
I guess, to have Dolores help with anything, actually. I guess the right way to think about that is that a lot of shit went on in those 34 years between when we, you know, when we first saw Dolores kind of being built and when season one picks up that maybe he did a lot with Dolores. Remember, there was a moment in uh, the first season when Dolores says, are we friends? And he goes, no, I wouldn't say that at all. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> are we friends? It's funny you said it like that. I like that. Craziness of Arnold's house being in Westworld. What the ho? That was super cool. I recognized it. I mean, because it was a good duplication of what they showed us in the first season of this episode, but that was in an Asian downtown. I don't know if that was Singapore or Shanghai or Tokyo or what, but it was definitely in a downtown urban environment. And here it is just out on kind of this Well, he explained it though. I mean, he said Ford's like, Arnold always built whatever he's going to build here first. Oh. So it was like very simple. Like he's like, yep, this is how it works. Arnold built he he built it here first, and then he and then he was going to go ahead and build it out there. So they built him a place where that would be familiar to him to kind of rehab him. But by the looks of things, when we jump to the other timeline, and there's the room full of Bernards. Yeah. Do you suppose that those are Bernards that Ford that kind of flew off the handle, and Ford needed to get rid of, or do you think that those were possibly like how there were several iterations of Jim Delos? There needed to be several iterations of of Bernard. It's just he didn't get rid of the bodies. He just kept them in this cold storage room. Really good question. It seemed like at least one of the Bernards had like blood trickle out of his Uh head. Right. Which I guess that would have been the Bernard that got shot, right, from the gala because there was one shot in his head, right? They all seemed damaged, which makes- They did. So that's why I'm asking like, you know, they got so far and they're like, well, we're close on this one. And then they use that that bolt gun and, and take him out. Oh, and, damn. Is that what that bolt gun was all about? Well, <gasps> It's I mean, like how you kill a cow or something, right? Don't they do right, that, that bolt yeah, gun thing? Something like that, right. Gross. How do you kill a host? Bolt gun. Ew. Right, right. Gross, Daily. Okay, so what else did we learn about about the Arnold Bernard- making of him i wonder who else gave information about who arnold was in order to create bernard like we know there's a concept of a wife but i wonder about this wife we know that there's a concept of charlie i wonder about this charlie who else because it i wonder if it was just ford i know he said ford and dolores helped him but i i really wondering especially because at the very beginning of this episode, when he's laying on the floor, Bernard is holding that picture again of him and Charlie. And I just feel like there's something, there were some flashes around that's like, don't forget that he had this other situation. And somehow, where do Arnold's family come into play with all this? You know, remember that that episode of Black Mirror where the dude dies and the wife orders a new husband? Yeah based on kind of the cloud impression of the husband. Yep, all the social media and everything, yes. Ford could manage that, that whole deal, all by himself. Yes, I agree. He could do that. And so when you ask where else did he get the information, that, I bet that. You know what also is so crazy about that, if you remember that Black Mirror episode? Remember that guy could only go so far? Like he could only leave the house and be like, it was like 20 feet out of the house or something like that. Remember? Mm -hmm. That's very like the cradle. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can't actually go out and be out in the world. You have to stay within these like certain limits. Interesting. I know. We'll go back and we'll notice probably that a you know things. Lisa Joy wrote that or something. Uh, probably that would be so wiggity. If you guys haven't seen that Black Mirror episode, go back and look. It's uh, um the first season. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. if you're if you're looking to figure out which one it is, it's like a husband and a wife, and it's going to say something about memories and and something like that. So in the conversation between Bernard and Ford, information comes out that Bernard helps us understand, like humans are there to be decoded, not that hosts are there to be coded. And that was like a gigantic revelation that was like, okay, we kind of understood that because William said that. But remember, we kept saying like, what does he mean? Like for advertising sake, for like product placement? Like what what are we getting from this information? Now it seems like, oh, it's because we're trying to create a whole picture of who that person is, even the parts they don't know about themselves so that we can copy their likeness their soul, their consciousness. We're making a copy of it. The only way to get like a full copy is if we get the stuff that even you don't realize. You have to show us all your stuff. That provides a much more palatable framework for why the Japanese storyline worked exactly like the Westworld storyline, right? Because they want the same data even if you go to Shogun World versus yeah, it's like it's like, like the tricks are the same, right? You've got to go through the same obstacle course. It's like how you s- you may take like a very you might feel like a general purpose survey post the same two events, right? That that uh, they were different events, but you get the same survey. It's because they need the same data for for both things to compare them. I like that. Yes, I do believe that that is that is part of this whole exact thing is they figured out what it's sort of like in colony. They figured out what the algorithm is. And it's just it's a game now to figure out, like, where do you fall? You know, how Mm -hmm. do you score where, you know? Yeah. All right. So what else did we figure out from this conversation, Paul? We did conclusively find out, too, that Ford did have Bernard go get that ball. That ball was Ford and that the ball was in the cradle. So that was an important little like loose end that needed to get tied into here. Yeah, they explained that. And one other, if you couldn't put it together. God. Then they then they just (laughs) flat out explained it to you. What? Tell me then. Remember how I said that Ford was giving a lot of truth, but he wasn't giving the whole truth. Oh, yeah. So when Bernard says, hey, all the humans are, are trying to go to this this valley beyond, and, and, and he says, so what is that? What's that all about? What? How come they keep talking about the valley beyond, the valley beyond? And Ford was pretty much like, I'm not oh, telling Bernard. you. Right? <laughs> you don't want to read the last page of a mystery before you get there, right. do you? Exactly. Well, so what do you think the Valley Beyond is, Paul? Since oh, Ford's not giving it up. My brain is sad tonight, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely say that my wife had a superior idea of what the Valley Beyond is. So I'm gonna ask her, what do you think the Valley Beyond is? Well, it's just an idea, Polly. But all I can think is that if if we have the hosts and we have the humans, and we know that we're trying to basically do the same thing with both of them. And we're trying to figure out, is it better to go from host over to like a living sentient thing? Or is it 
better? And do you get better results from going from a human and then try to back you into a host situation, right? Yeah. They've introduced us to the cradle, which seems like the place that you're born, right? The cradle, if you will. And we know now that that's where they have the backups of the host. And basically the host entities like reside there, right? I don't want to call them a soul and I don't want to call them a consciousness, but like their data, right? Yeah. So then the only thing I can think of, the only counterpart we've had for the cradle is the valley beyond. That would be death, right? Cradle to the grave, right? Mm -hmm. So then on the other side, we have to have, I think, we have to have something to have to do with the human side. And so then I got to think something about the valley beyond is where we have all the data all the copies of I would put in like air quotes, all the whatever is the right word, the souls, the consciousness, the the entities that are the humans that are in this equation. I think that's where they reside or they're being stored. So to be more clear or additionally clear, what she means is the data that they've been saving about the humans, that's where they're saving it physically. I think so. So when Dolores says that glory, a.k.a. the Valley Beyond, is a weapon, I think we're talking about that metaphorical kind of information is a weapon. They have all this information about the wealthiest people in the world and what they do in their spare time. And it sounds like Dolores figures that she has a way to use it, or at least open it up and try to use it. That's it's interesting to use the phrase open it up because I think that's where Peter Abernathy and calling him the key and everything the key inside his head, all that business. They use this word decoding again, having to do something with that that Abernathy head info, which which you said, you know, kind of annoyed you because it, it kind of changed up what we thought was in Abernathy's head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first season it very much felt like he was a walking USB drive, right? where he was carrying what they called their IP. And to me, IP is actual data. Like you open it up and there's the information. And now they're kind of changing the, they're recharacterizing that information in Abernathy's head. And they're saying, oh no, this is the key to decrypt something else. Maybe it's more like this. Maybe instead of it being like dead, wrong, or or opposite to what they were saying or anything like that, maybe it's more like, think of it like um, you have to have the steps in order to be able to do it. And so it's not that the information in his head was the actual thing, meaning like uh, it wasn't the actual product and into itself, but it was almost like the recipe, right? Yeah. And so he's like the key ingredient, if you will, to getting there. He's the key to it all. So whatever is the whatever was in Abernathy's head was for lack of a better way to explain it, like the actual recipe, the like, so you put the human here and you get the host and you mix it all together with some love and some tenderness and some grace and nobility right. and blah, 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 whatever. And then that's how you get your host hybrid immortality, you know? I don't know. That's what I think. I think that there's something. And that's why I think that this there's a lot of imagery with the keys and doors and going home. We saw like a quadrillion homes and houses in this episode. Definitely talking about the valley that uh, people say going home when they're talking about dying, you know, going back home. And I think the fact that we saw Ford's home and Arnold's home 
where MIB's home supposedly was like that sort of cabin setting. We saw Maeve's home at the homestead. We have seen so much of this home concept that I feel like, and doors for that sake too, right? We found the secret door in Ford's lab that led to all the Bernards. And we know the overall arc arc of this season is called the door. Um, So there's something also, but that's the other thing too, dying or going to the other side, the afterlife, the whatever. People refer to that as like, stepping through the door right going to the other side Mm -hmm. so i think that's what we're hearing with all these recurring different imagery and themes that's what i think the valley beyond is you guys i i hope that 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 is somewhat correct i don't have any idea and i don't have a better theory i really liked it when you put it all together so i'm going to sign on to that as a (laughs) as like a seconder or or an endorser i'm just not i mean Everything has had like a yin and a yang when it comes to host human, host human, host human. It's the only th- the other thing they've been talking about besides the cradle, right? Right. And they've been very- And we all want to get there, right? Sounds like everybody wants to get there. Yeah. So it's got to be something. It's got to be like self-awareness or I don't know, that full free will, that full independence, something, some combination of something. Immortality, perhaps, is that that's the whole thing. I don't know. Something. I guess the final thing learned from the cradle, maybe we've already touched this, is is just that Ford and the Ford copy's opinion, what they were trying to find in terms of copying humans into host bodies, it just can't work. The reason the reason Bernard works is because he is a tweaked version of Arnold. You almost said it how I would have said it, but it's that you can't put the original consciousness into a host and have it work, but you can put a copied version, a collection of memories of who that person was into it and have that work. For whatever reason, you can't put the original in it. So so there's I think there are people watching that believe that Ford was successful with Bernard in doing what the Jim Delos bot didn't do. No, but he actually says that he that it wasn't successful and it, that it's not the same version. Yes. So I think we're here to tell you those people that think that that that's not the case. And he pretty much said so in this episode. Absolutely. 100% he did. So the this end result of how now Ford feels that his role the whole time we've been discussing is like a God type figure, right? Yeah. And he was saying he doesn't think that God rests on the seventh day. Instead, he reveled in what he created, right? Reveled is such a funny word. It's not admired. It's reveled, which is just like so much more like, ominous right like i don't know you can imagine that like kind of laughing right like god made this whole earth and then went over the whole thing which is kind (laughs) of creepy right it wasn't like oh so he talks about this idea of taking back free will from bernard and deciding that he's gonna just leap into his body creepy bobeaky paul then we have that entire scene with the control room Was Ford and Bernard actually in that room when stuff was happening? Because I swear to God, they kind of weren't. It doesn't seem like they were because there was so much violence in that room that a guy just standing still like that would have gotten hit with something. So then somehow it's like, you know, we figured out this mental stuff that Maeve could do. It kind of seems like Bernard plus Ford 
have some of what that is because I don't think they were like physically in that control room in that same way. Maybe. Well, this is far-fetched also, but when this episode is set up in Hale's scenes, um, she says to the something to the effect of, you're going to remember, you're going to tell me what you remember. I'm going to tell you what I remember. And we're all, we're just going to make one big story out of that. And I think that that's because that's how, that's how this stuff works. It's like copies of what people remember about you or remember about what a thing or what happened. Sort of like that, you know, what, what is the truth? It's like, well, your version, my version, and then the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're never going to be able to recreate the truth. We can't. I can tell you what I thought happened. You can tell me what you thought happened. And we're going to try to do our best we can to make that into the real thing. But we can't ever get to the real thing. Perhaps Bernard did like, you know, somersault and cartwheel his way through the room to survive. But in his own mind, that's not what he was doing because he had, he was kind of <laughs> sharing. I can't even imagine Jeffrey Wright cartwheeling and <laughs> somersaulting. <laughs> the cartwheeling especially is making me crack up right now. That's really funny. It's a classic avoidance maneuver. It's a really funny uh, idea. It makes me think of like, like Leslie Nielsen does like some cartwheels <laughs> in one part of Naked Gun. Right, it's so like does Jim Carrey, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. But oh, you get the idea. Like his absolutely. mind is like, I'm just going through this. But, you know, in order to dodge the bullets, he's actually dodging bullets. Yeah. Well, let's talk about dodging bullets for a minute um, and get over to Dolores's gang. There's so much to talk about with Ford and Bernard. And I, we're going to we'll wrap them up at the end about where we think this is all going. So Dolores and the gang, Teddy the assassin. This was Pretty classic trickery that they pulled on on our, what do we even call them? You were calling them sort of the B team. I know that Ken from Chicago, we appreciate you about calling them like the like Delta Force kind of like big wigs bringing in the big guys. But here's the thing. They were like no more capable than anyone else we've seen. They were classic mercenary types that you see in these sorts of movies where people are very confident in their abilities, you know? And those haptic vests were pretty cool. Like they a were wicked rat, and it helped them not at all. <laughs> right. Which was like crazy. It was still a net loss on the Delos team's <sighs> no, part. No, but let's talk about a serious loss that we had. Clem. I think Clem is officially gone. I think Clem's officially gone, too. I mean, they blow up their copies. They blow up their backups later. Right. So right. And Clem was sort of a patch job anyway. Clem, you know, I have to say, even the actress herself looks like she lost weight during this series. And she just looked skeletal by the end. I mean, skeletal. When they would show like her, her like clavicle kind of like chest area. I mean, she was just like nothing. Maybe that was fantastical makeup work. But wow, she just looked like she was just barely there when we're talking about peeling back the layers and seeing what's underneath you could see right through her skin you know you could see everything of what was going on with her it was crazy it was very sad to lose clem and i do think she's officially gone angela however made her death count dude eliminating the cradle is one more way that they are saying no we're really alive you know like we're if we have this fallback where we can just be born again into this hell, we'd rather give that up than than actually, you know, maybe we'll just get die, we'll just get died, <laughs> maybe we'll get killed 
in an hour, but we'd rather that than just be born again. Well, and Ford actually was the person who defined what real is. And he said it was that which cannot be replaced. That's what's real. So, so long as they could be replaced, they were never going to be real. And Mm. since that's what they longed for, then they had to, that's where the whole mortality thing and why immortality, while it looks exciting, if you're immortal, you can't be real, right? Because it's, it's like, you just go on forever. There's no, there's not that feeling of irreplaceability about so you. Is this an atheist TV show? Oh my. I don't know. Why did you say that? Things that, that are real have an end date. Last I checked, no one ever said that God would expire. Oh gosh. Do, 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 do. That's my atheist theme music. It's, oh my gosh. It's kind of atonal and, <laughs> and a little weird. Right. <laughs> I don't know, Paul. I, I hadn't I I never I guess because you're you're saying because they, they use the phrase everlasting God is like frequently mm-hmm. paired. Right, yeah. So then it can't be real if it if it okay, well, you know what? Uh, maybe Ford as a character is he thinks he's God. So then in that case, I mean, who knows what the hell he thinks he is. Well, if you think you're God, then you're not really interested in anyone else's opinion on who who else thinks that they're God. Or who's <laughs> real and who's even not. Even if it is God. So, yeah, he's like, you want to see who's real? Let me let me cop into your head and show you what's real, right? Right. Okay, so we've got the I thought that Angel's trick, did you think it was a good trick or was it like wah wah? We could see that coming oh, a mile away. I've seen that trick before, but I mean I didn't know she was gonna blow it up. I thought she was gonna kill him. I didn't yeah. know she was gonna blow it up. That's yeah, so, so that was that a was, surprise. That was the twist on a on a familiar TV trope. And it was meaningful that her last words were her first words, right? The welcome to Westworld. I love it. I didn't catch that, but I love that. Yeah, it kind of bookended her Circular. existence. Yeah. It's the circle of life. We got to get back to Hale and Dolores and all the mess that they went through, Paul. We've got upstairs while the cradle's blowing. We've got Dolores upstairs ready to blow Hale's face off or at least cut some shit off. Yeah, this scene was kind of interesting because, you know, they. She and Teddy had been laying waste to anything with a heartbeat, right? And so they get into the room where her dad is, and all of a sudden they're like, "Okay, put your safeties on, everybody. We're we're not blowing these these two away just just because they're here." And that part seemed a little like, "Well, I think they probably would have taken out at least Especially Stubbs." Teddy. Yeah. Especially Teddy. I mean, I feel like Stubbs, one of those times when he was like, hur, hur, I think Teddy would have like, bang, like no <laughs> right. extra words. like just, right. And maybe Dolores would have been like, Teddy, <laughs> damn it, Ted, dial right. it back. Literally, dial it back. Right? I mean, I don't, don't make me tell you again. Uh, right? Don't make me come over there and hold you down. <laughs> exactly. So what did you think of the interaction between Hale and Dolores? And even the part where like Stubbs before Dolores quite got there was like, tell me what's going on, Hale. Tell me what's inside of well, you. Well, it, it made me actually wish a little bit that we didn't have Winnie. the multiple timelines because unless we we find out that Hale is a complete host that can have her body replaced, then we know that physically... She's in okay shape by, you know, by the end of the season. So 
this physical threatening of her didn't have all the tension that it could have had. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah. All right, you're right. But, but okay, so where are we at this point with Dolores and Hale arguing? Where were we in the timeline? About a week ago. Okay, so then since we all know that Hale is alive in the now and doesn't have any scrapes on her, then I see what you're saying, how that really undercut. Like we knew that he, she was going to get away and Stubbs too. Exactly. Yeah. Intrigue. All right. So did you like Dolores's choice of wording? How she was like, I know exactly where I'm going to put the key. <laughs> well, I, what I liked about that was that Hale has always lorded it over everyone she's met so far, just how well-informed and smart she is. And she thought she had the same deal over this stupid host, Dolores. I like that. And Dolores, who had been playing kind of by the book, you know, revolutionary firebrand, did basically prove in a way that, no, actually, she has a pretty good idea what she's doing. And she knows exactly how to hurt you badly. And and she's just she she's going to do that, that thing. So... It was good to see. It was good for me to see finally someone take Hale off balance. Doesn't make her more interesting exactly. Makes Dolores a little more interesting that she was able to do that. So Dolores and Teddy, would you say their their scheme was successful? Think of it from oh, yeah. everything they've been doing this entire time. I mean, talking entire time. They getting everything to blow up the Mesa, the train, getting there, getting into the actual Mesa, finding her father, cutting open his head, which let me give you a little side note. Because I know you didn't get a chance to see this. I watched only about 15 minutes of the After Buzz um, after show thing. Just because I wanted to see a little bit of uh, the actor who plays Abernathy. I wanted to hear his little clips. Because I always love to hear what little scenes and whatnot they're up to. He said originally they were going to show him getting cut open. And it was going to be vile apparently. To the point where he said... He really didn't want to shoot that scene because apparently it was going to be so bad that he himself as a father did not want that footage to even exist on the earth because mm. of his own children. He never wanted them to see how bad whatever they had planned was going to be. Now, he said they never got to the point of even shooting it because I guess between him and, and Evan Rachel Wood and everyone, everyone was like, I don't think it's necessary for us to go through that. Part. No, it really wasn't. So it, it wasn't for me either. And I didn't, after we saw Bernard's top of the head get cut off and stuff like that was enough of gruesomeness, you know, like we're, we're heavily invested emotionally that you don't, you don't need to carve up some of these people, you know, for it yeah. to hurt, you know, like Clem, we didn't need to see her, you know, carved down to the to the bone you know we didn't need to see that okay so i agree with you wholeheartedly dolores and the gang i mean this was a successful sitch they got the they got the unit right. they got in they got what they needed, out of here and they they left with a lot of their forces you're right i mean they did lose clem and they did lose angela but they blew up the cradle so i mean mm -hmm. goodness really they they did a really good job and they took out pretty much everybody and with Bernard down in that control room with Ford's help doing the whole thing of shutting down the controls of the park, which then allowed free will back to Dolores, like she wasn't going to be held back with any of the controls. I assume that means the things like the um, remember how they're uh, like C7 or whatever it would blow yeah. if they went so far. Right. I assume that means all gates are down. 
this is like Jurassic Park style. We've got to get the shaving cream to the dock. And so we have to put down all the security gates. You'd probably want to find a red shirt and test that (laughs) before, before before you did it. But you, but you agree, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, it makes was sense. Was the point of it? Makes was sense, the point yeah. of the whole thing was to figure that part out? All right, so now we get to the very most complicated scene, which was actually happening at the beginning of this episode, but is in a different timeline. So, Paul, where are we at in our timeline now? We are what I call the now timeline, meaning the two weeks f- into the future from the end of the first season. That is all the scenes that involve. The character named Strand, um, they are what I call now. And so in this little collection of scenes, Strand is has figured out that someone killed Cullen and he's got to figure out who did that. And he's and he's down to Bernard or Stubbs. <laughs> Pretty good. This is like when you play that game, guess who? And you're like, does he have a beard? Does he have glasses? Well, I mean, these are the only two survivors that he's found, right? Exactly. I did appreciate that they actually filled in the blank for us and they didn't just say, I have a hunch that Cullen wasn't a slip and fall, right? I appreciated that they said, we have DNA from a specific place that we know she died. Okay. I mean, that's good. That's good connecting the dots, right? It's because he bashed your brains against the wall. Yeah, they didn't even clean it up. They didn't even Clorox wipe that shit at all. Not even A little bit of the magic eraser probably would have at least dulled that out. Paint over it. Hell, go, go full on. Give it, give it a spruce, Paul. Give it a spruce after well, a murder. you know, when it's your your evil lair slash basement, maybe, maybe you like it with a little bit of blood. It it helps the ambiance for other Panache, visitors, right? right? I love it. Right. It lets people know you're serious. It does, <laughs> right? right? If you come to our house and there's some brains on the wall, you know our conversations are serious. Right. Some people wear a red tie. Some people put their gun on the table, and some people just have blood coming down the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a power move. Right. Oh my gosh, too funny. Okay, so it turns out again that we, if you guys didn't remember, that the Ford's lab was actually down inside his old family home. We went through that, remember the whole cliche slash, I don't even know if it's like, what's the right word you want to say now? It's uh, the quintessential line of, Man. it doesn't look like anything to me. So that's where we learned that line, finding this, this area. And this is when we find an additional door. That we did not know existed. Yeah, previews kind of gave away what this was going to be. Which was weird, right? But still, yeah, definitely weird. But still, pretty good reveal. Nice camera work where they show Hale unzipping something and then they show someone unzipping something else. But in this one, you can see the glasses and you're like, oh, I know a guy that wears horn-rimmed looking glasses. And then finally they reveal these damaged Bernards, about a half dozen, maybe eight of them kind of stuck there in body bags. Again, um, we're not, it's not explained what they are, whether they are failed attempts at, creating a Bernard or if they are Bernards that went off the rails that needed to be put down so that he could bring another one online that would be more compliant. So now Hale decides that Bernard, clearly a host, a unique host who has managed to walk amongst 
amongst us must have a lot of information. And it is totally worth doing this faux waterboarding or like virtual waterboarding. Right. The right phrase. She just she just tells him you're being waterboarded. He's like, <laughs> did you think that there was any point in being that cruel to him? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, to me, I feel like Bernard is broken, right? He is broken. Isn't waterboarding something you get to when... You know, someone's not being very compliant and, you know, you're not on American soil. and Yeah, but you know what part of of that is, though? It's like you have to get to to a person's like fight or flight, kind of like that primitive, primitive place where you are like, it is a survival thing. You can, it's almost like subconscious, right? That's why they do it is because like, you're no longer thinking rationally. You're, you're, you're gasping for air. And he kind of already was the interesting thing that they showed was that that tech had the, the pad and he was saying he's been querying himself. Like he's trying to debug himself like this whole time. Meaning think of it like if you felt like you had lice or something on your head and you're trying to get rid of it, it was like, he was like, scratching internally like to get Ford out of there Ford's the freaking bug and he's in there and he is blocking I think all kinds of information from Bernard and these people are killing him practically or making him feel like he's dying and he's trying to play this game of like I'm over here and like you know that thing where you jump to the side and then you jump to the other side he's like trying to get around Ford to find the information so that they'll let up on him but Ford is like freaking I mean, if he's God, he's really Satan, really, if you ask me. That's that's an important thing you just pointed out. The Although the episode ends with Bernard having uh, Ford in his, in his head, and it starts with this scene of, of Bernard explaining, you know, stuff that happened to him, that scene takes place after the end of this episode, chronologically. So you're right in saying that Ford, until we see otherwise, is still riding around in his head. Oh, I think so. I think definitely. I think the hope is to ride him all the way to the valley. And I don't know. Do you remember we talked about that part of the thing way back when of what Westworld could do with this information is if you plucked the the most powerful people in the world out and you put in these hosts, right, that that looked like them. We thought it was all about looking like someone. Then using their DNA, remember? Then yeah. potentially then you could like be in control of all different portions of the world. Like you could be the United States president. You could be, you know, the Pope. You could be like all these people, right? But what if it's more like if Ford is capable of living in the cradle, doesn't it make sense that he may be capable of living in the valley? Like, is it possible that he can live inside multiple people's heads? And in that case, could he be the controlling voice of the world? If you remember how he defined a bicameral mind as being like, there's, there's one level of thought that is you telling yourself what to do. And then there's another layer of thought where there's something else that just speaks to you and tells you what to do. And that thing was supposed to be God. But now 
I mean, very, very literally in Bernard's head, he does have a bicameral mind and that he does have another voice. Very interesting. And you're suggesting that Ford might be in the business of having that done to a lot of other to uh, humans, to humans, to, to going from doing that inside host heads to doing that inside human heads or whatever this hybridy slash whatever the human souls copied things turn into is it possible that if he hitches a ride over to the valley on bernard is he can he hopscotch into whatever the hive mind is over there the cradle, if you will, Very of the human side. I don't know how it works. All I, all I know is that we thought the whole time that Ford wanted to rule the world via a body of some sort, right? Like he put all these bodies out in the world, but he'd really be controlling their brains. But we thought it was happening from a host side, putting all these lookalike hosts. But if it's happening from a side of where it's more like these humans that go back out in the world. And I know that's weird and I don't know how to explain it. I don't know another word besides human, some sort of version of a human, a copied version of a human where he is also inserted. Would you get the same net result? I guess we'll need to see what the Valley Beyond actually is. Do you think we get there in this season? Yeah. Okay, so we totally do. So we have, we the name of this is The Door. So you think, do we just approach the door with all of these contenders or do we get through the door? Do we see them step through the door? Is that the last scene of the last episode of this season, stepping through some sort of, you know, even a, um, a figurative door? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that sounds right. Like they get to it and like how last season ended on not exactly a cliffhanger per se, but more like a, whoa, we know a lot more is coming after that kind of thing. Entering a door, but not showing us where they go when they do, would do the same thing. I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for listening this week. I know that there was a kajillion lines that Ford said that were so thought-provoking and so amazing. I thought that the whole thing talking about the original library burning down the 10,000 stories and that that changed it from being all those stories into actually being the story of the fire became the story that anyone carried along after that was like, whoa, I feel like that's exactly where we are with this. Like uh, eventually, like what we thought, all the things we were talking about at the beginning, who's a host, who's a whatever, we're losing like those individual stories and it's going to become the collapse or the fire of this whole thing that is really the story, which is fascinating. So we hope you guys have enjoyed it. Please give us tons of feedback on so many shows.com. You can find all of our podcasts as well as SMS radio, which is on Monday through Friday. And you can reach us on Monday and Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. Thanks. Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.